This episode of the Golf.com podcast is brought to you by the USGA. The USGA runs a program called Play 9 that is all about getting your golf game in without needing to play a full 18 holes and all the time that comes with that. For more information, visit usga.org play9. Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck back for another podcast for The Knockdown. Thanks for listening. I am uh, delighted that our guest this week is Jonathan Vegas. Back in 2011, after JV won the Bob Hope Classic and his second start on the PGA Tour, I found him the following week at Torrey Pines and said, when you go home to Venezuela, I'm coming with you. I knew there was a juicy story there. Um, you know, Hugo Chavez, the Venezuelan dictator, had, had made Jonathan a national hero after his win. Um, but as I would find out, it was much more complicated than that. Jonathan's father had actually signed a recall petition when Chavez was running for president years earlier, and everyone who was on that list became an enemy of the state. And uh, JV's dad couldn't find work. Basically, the only chance of giving his son a better life was to send Jonathan to the United States as a teenager to live with some Venezuelan expats. That really shaped Jonathan's future, but he, he remained, you know, kind of a man without a home. And so he hadn't been back to Venezuela in a long time when I joined him. And now he's one of the most visible people in the country. We, uh, when we went to Caracas for the, um, for the baseball all-star game so he could uh, throw out the first pitch. You know, there was an armored car and some heavily armed Navy SEAL types who kind of squired Jonathan around. Uh, when we got to his hometown of Maturin, it was a little more relaxed and um, got to, you know, have breakfast with the family and at their home and, and got to see the, the overgrown course where we had first learned the game. Probably the most memorable moment was when we decided to do a photo shoot next to this government gas refinery. They were they were burning off the extra gas, and these plumes of, of flames were 200 feet in the air. And it was an incredible visual we thought would, would really be um, kind of speak to his hometown and, and, and just look very cool in a photo. Unfortunately, some soldiers who were charged with guarding this um, this government property didn't agree. We were, we were on the edge of of the installation we put jv on top of his car so we, we could shoot over the fence they came roaring up with machine guns shouting and um, gesticulating it, it was probably the only time on the golf beat i thought i might get shot but uh, we talked our way out of that one that was just one of many adventures so anyway that's a little background let's get to the chat all right this is alan shipnuck back for another podcast for the knockdown i'm delighted to have jonathan vegas here thanks for taking the time jv hey it's always good to catch up with you buddy <laughs> thank you i was thinking about our, our trip to venezuela back in 2012. a lot of crazy things happened do you remember that photo shoot when the the soldiers like flew up with the machine guns that was that was actually one of uh, one of the iconic moments of that uh of that shoot uh you know standing on top of a truck shooting and then having some uh some of the national guards come to us and uh you know taking us into the property and, and finding out and then trying to get out of that whole situation was actually funny and if, i think they didn't find out but actually one of my friends which is connected to some high uh, you know um, of uh, government officials actually got noticed that we were there and obviously you know i mean he's like oh my god what are they doing there blah, blah, blah. And i think he helped us out to get out of that situation uh nice and safe but uh it was fun for sure 
Yeah, there was, I mean, they have so much oil and gas in Venezuela, they just burn it off. And there was these plumes of, of fire, like 100 feet in the air. We just thought that'd be a cool photo. So we posed Johnny right on the edge of this, but it's government installation. They weren't super thrilled. No, no, they're, they're, they're never thrilled when, uh, when you take pictures of their own properties and especially the burning gas. So, uh, <laughs> but we had a good time, that's for sure, buddy. Yeah. So, I mean, we were talking off camera here about um, it's been a while since you've been back to Venezuela. People follow the news, they know that it's, it's not a great situation down there, but what, how are your parents doing, your brother, how are they surviving? Well, I mean, obviously my parents live there, my older brother and his family live there, and uh, it's really complicated, uh, you know, because, I mean, there's a shortage of food, shortage of medicine, um, you know, it's, it's really unsafe, probably, the, you know, one of the most unsafe places in the world at the moment. So when you're dealing with a place that is like that, it's, it's just really hard to live. Um, you know, it, it becomes a uh, it becomes a battle every single day to find food. If you you know some of the kids get sick, you know where do you find medicine? So you know, uh, so luckily I've been able to help them a little bit and send some of the stuff that they might need for a long time. Uh, but you know, it's obviously it's obviously something that I'm gonna have to keep in the back of my mind and uh, pray every day that it stays safe and nothing happens to them. How much does it weigh on you, the not, the not knowing what's gonna happen? It's, it's big, uh, it's a lot of pressure for sure. Uh, especially, you know, especially being, um, you know, a little bit more of a public figure here in the States and, um, you know, how much money I make, it's almost public, it's public and people know and, and the media there actually makes that, makes that a big deal, so, when they say, oh, he made a million dollars here, a million dollars there, la, 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 yeah. and then people are starving to death. I mean, obviously your family becomes a target. Yeah. Um, so obviously, we, you know, we have to take a little bit of precautions and safety measures to uh, make sure my family stays safe. I mean, people know kind of the broad strokes of your journey, but the details are so interesting. I mean, you came to the U.S. as a teenager, spoke basically no English. Not much. Hand-me-down hand clubs and shoes. Um, I mean, do you ever reflect on, on how far you've come? Yeah, obviously every day. I mean, that uh, I mean that almost seems like it was the other day that I was uh, that I was that kid, uh, you know, with a suitcase from Venezuela. I remember, you know, in Venezuela we never have a winter, so um, you know, I got here in August. Obviously, it was fun during the summer, but then when the winter came, I didn't have any sweaters, and I was trying to play the, you know some tournaments with some of these big sweaters that I have to take off, <laughs> hit some shots, put them on again, and. Um, you know, so it seems like it was the other day that I went through that. Uh, but, you know, I mean, obviously, I feel that that's the same stuff that uh, that gave me all the, all that, you know, all the fire to, uh, to make it all the way here. I remember you telling me that you, you used to get, you played in the rain with no rain gear. So now, if you're in your, your state-of-the-art rain gear, you've got your caddy holding the umbrella, it's almost too easy, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's, I mean, it's never easy, but it's obviously, you get, you get a little bit spoiled out of here. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, like I said, I grew up with 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 not knowing what a, what a rain gear was and you just have to you know get your umbrella and hit it and Venezuela is so hot too that we're not used to um you know wearing anything just to play when it rains because it's just so hot and even till today i mean i'm not 100 percent comfortable you know wearing rain gear even though sometimes i have to use it because um, yeah. it helps but um but i mean it's just it's just a, it's been a fun journey uh just leaving the country uh, when I was 17 years old, coming to Houston, not knowing English, not knowing anyone, which I think it was the biggest thing. I mean, obviously I had my golf teacher that helped me out, um, but not knowing everyone and coming to a country that, I mean, I had nothing, I didn't know anything about. Uh, and obviously learning everything, then going to the University of Texas, and, and even my English wasn't even as good at that point. It was just good enough to get by. Um, 
And I remember my first class at UT was a communication class. So I had to <laughs> stand in front of the whole crew of the class and give a speech. I mean, give speeches every single week. So, I mean, going through some of those moments, uh, obviously they were extremely hard, but, uh, you know, I mean, like I said, it's just probably one of those things that made me uh, what I'm at right now. I like, you know, in, in the journey you had through Texas and to get the tour, there was all, it seems like there was always someone there who, who was offered a hand. You know, there was expats from Venezuela. There was Kevin Kirk, your teacher. There was people at UT. I mean, how, did you ever did you ever just think like there was a, a plan that was waiting for you? You know what? I mean, I, I'm a strong believer in God, and um, and I definitely believe that uh, that He had His His hand on on my journey for sure, because pretty much. Once, once I left uh, the country, my dad and my mom having the vision that you know you need to leave the country and, f and you find better ways, um, which that in itself is, is a hard decision to take as a, as a parent. Um, and then coming to Houston, meeting uh, a great friend, Rick Forrester, uh, which is you know his dad was a big influence in the golf community in Houston. He uh, he introduced me to uh, to Dick Camp in Austin and his wife Melissa, and they kind of. They kind of really helped me uh, go through some of those moments at UT where I was by myself pretty much. I only had them to help me, um, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, um, you know, how to show me the way to do this, do that. Uh, you know, get your first phone. Do, I mean, it was just as simple as that. Just just get your way through things. So, and every, obviously when I turned pro, I didn't really have that support group. I just only had them which uh, they showed me the way also on how to become a professional, how to do things, how to, you know, take care of your accounting. How, I mean, just so many things that, uh, that they were able to show me that, um, that I mean, it obviously were um, the big support of, um, of why I'm here today. I remember uh, Dick telling me that he, he, he gave you a cell phone and you started calling him like four and five times a day and he was kind of... Um, wondering what was going on and then he just realized you were homesick you just wanted someone to talk to right well like i said i mean i didn't have anyone uh so so you know when i went and got you know got my own phone um uh, you know uh obviously i didn't have anyone to talk to <laughs> and he was there so i was calling him hey you know i mean you want to go play golf uh, so let's go play golf so we went to play, you know play golf a few times uh, a few times a week and uh, and all of that stuff so obviously they became you know became a family the more time we spent together and um, and it was really it was obviously really neat to have them there as a as a support group. And he actually became your legal guardian, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Just, just shortly after that, um, remember that you know even that was what beginning of the I mean, 2004. So we didn't have FaceTime. We didn't have you know all yeah. of these things to stay in touch with, yeah. with my family back home. So I mean I had to make a call you know, probably once a month or twice a month to my family. Yeah. Uh, so they became obviously my immediate family. They became my legal guardian and. Uh, you know, once that happened, it obviously got a lot easier, yeah. Um, yeah, because of all the NCAA regulations right. and everything that we have to go through at, at school. Um, and uh, we, you know, we were able to go to dinner more often and play golf more often. And you know, so once that happened, obviously I was able to settle in a little bit more and uh, and enjoy the process a little bit better. What was the car he gave you? It was like some hand-me-down? Yeah. So we bought a uh, so we bought a, um, a 2000 uh, Chevy Cavalier, <laughs> uh, which was actually, you know, in, in pretty good stage. I bought it from one of my roommates, from one of my roommates uh, that yeah. he was actually uh, was done with college. And uh, I mean, that car uh, was still around <laughs> through my brothers uh, right. not not long ago. Uh, but it was, you know, it, when when that happened also because I mean at the same time. It didn't have a car, so I had to get right to my teammates and right, yeah. come back whenever they were they were coming back. So when that happened, obviously I was a free man. I was, <laughs> could come to Houston, train with my coaches, go practice whenever I can, stay out uh, as late as I wanted, 
and uh, you know, so I mean, those are the, the type of stuff that obviously at the end of the day you start appreciating and you know all the effort that it took uh, you know, to get here where I'm at today. Uh, that makes the journey even more, even better, but also gives me um, you know, more motivation to keep, uh, to keep moving up. Golf and life. How do you fit one into the other? If you ask the USGA, it's pretty easy. It's called Play 9. Nine-hole golf is time-friendly, unwind-friendly, friend-friendly. It's there's still time to pick up the kids friendly. It's after-work-friendly. You can even post your nine-hole score and it counts toward your handicap every time. There's a lot to love about golf, and when there's less time, the USGA says Play 9. Learn more about nine-hole options in your area by going to usga.org slash play nine today. Do you ever feel like you're a, you're a tougher golfer than some of these other guys on tour who had it a little bit easier? Well, I wouldn't say tougher, but I feel that you know what what makes me um, what makes me what I am. It's you know the adversity that I've that I've overcome through the years. Uh, that making a bogey or making a double, it's not gonna feel as bad as maybe you know, feel to some of these guys. So or even a round or a bad year yeah. might feel. So I know that. You know, obviously, I'm gonna have to always work harder to achieve things, and uh, which I'm okay with that. And you know, um, it hasn't really been that too bad. So you come out on tour, you almost immediately win at, at the Hope. You, you almost win at Torrey Pines. That, it's like this game is easy, right? <laughs> well, I mean, at that time it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, playing playing great. I mean, winning obviously winning the, my second star on tour it's, uh, with my tour car. And then the following week, playing with uh, with Tiger on Saturday at Torrey Pines and having a chance to win on Sunday, um, you know, obviously golf was was great, and that that was a really fun year. Um, you know, I had a I had a few chances a few chances to win that year, um, and uh, playing you know my first Masters, playing you know which was huge in my in Venezuela. Um, so I mean, obviously golf was fun. It was it was good. We really enjoyed it, uh, but we always wanted more. And uh, you know, I was unfortunate to have an injury. Uh, that following year, 2012, and, and sit out at uh, 13. So it hasn't really been, you know, those years weren't really as fun as it started. But like I said, it was just part of, of my process. It's part of my journey, um, you know, that I feel like I'm always being tested through things. And uh, it's how you deal with that that, uh, that makes you who you are. For a, a young kid who, that was your real first exposure to Tiger when you are paired at Tory. What did that feel like? I mean, I think that that's probably the, the, the most nervous I've ever been in my life. Yeah. Um, you know, think about as a Venezuelan kid watching golf, and and I actually started watching golf more when the Tiger, you know, came in the scene, '96, uh, '97, and um, and obviously watching, you know, watching him win all those types of tournaments when I'm there, and then even when I'm in, when I'm in college, and then I get like my second you know, week on tour or third week on tour. I got a chance to be paired with a guy yeah. on Saturday at Torrey Pines, one of the places that he, you know, dominates. Yeah. And I'm like, God, I mean, yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, I was really nervous. I remember hitting this like big hook on the first, on the first uh, tee, just feeling really nervous. Luckily, I made par in the first hole, and obviously, you know, settled in after that and uh, shot a good round, uh, which you know, which he meant a lot playing that good, uh, that first time playing with him. I mean, when, when those tea times come out the, the day before, do you, you start texting your, your family and your friends or you try and play it cool? Well, I wasn't texting, but they were texting me. It's like, <laughs> what? I'm going to fly there tomorrow morning. I'll be there. What? And obviously I had, because of the week before, I had a lot of, a lot of people with me that week. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I remember those two weeks being, 
of being, you know, some of the biggest rush of my life. Um, obviously, from having that rush of winning and then getting hundreds of calls from Venezuela, that my actual phone completely fried. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it was just like, I mean, I would get 40 text messages and I had deleted them. I mean, I had to delete them. And then, you know, an hour or two later, I was getting, you know, 40 more voicemails. Uh, so having to, you know, going through that rush, obviously, it was crazy. And obviously, but I think it prepared me a lot for, you know, what the tour life is all about and uh, what you have to experience here. So five years go by, you mentioned the injury, but at some point, it's got to start weighing on you. You want to win again. You have to win again. How tough is that mentally when when you've tasted it and you go so long between <laughs> the next bite? Yeah, five years later, it's you know obviously I knew I knew that I was talented enough to win uh, on tour. I did it once. Um, you know I was close a few other times uh, during that stretch. Um, but I mean it's so hard winning here that. I mean, obviously you want to win, you want to win, and you put the, all this, all this, you know, weight on your shoulders and work so much harder than you probably need to to uh, to try to get a win. That um, that obviously you start getting in your own way. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, obviously those five years, you know, fell forever. Um, but that's that we that that uh, that winning Canada last year uh, definitely uh, felt, you know, probably. Probably bigger than the first time. Obviously, the first time was big. You win the first time, but, but I mean, it was everything happened so quick that uh, obviously you enjoyed it. But I mean, you don't really, you know, truly, truly appreciate how hard winning is. Yeah. Um, and uh, so getting that second one was uh, was so sweet that uh, you know probably you know took you know took a big monkey off my shoulder and and it's been fun right after that. As as a player, do you feel like you, your colleagues look at you differently when you get that second win and you've kind of validated your place out here? You know, I think obviously, you know, the, you know, every win, you know, makes you a, a better and a bigger player. Uh, you know, obviously, winning once, yeah, you're a winner. But obviously, there's guys that have won twice, and if you win twice, there's obviously, you know, guys that have won more. So if you win three times, I mean, obviously, yeah. you start reaching reaching a different category. I mean, you don't get treated differently from the guys, but obviously, you know, you become you know, you become a more complete player the more you win. Yeah. So you, you follow up the Canadian Open victory with another Canadian Open victory. I mean, are you, are you looking at, at property in Montreal these days? <laughs> you know what? I'm actually, I like, I like Toronto. So, uh, you know, so I mean, that, that's, that's the, I've been thinking about that. And uh, now, but I mean, it's been fun. I mean, obviously Canada, what I love about Canada is that, you know, there's a lot of Venezuelans that have moved to, to Toronto and to Canada because of oil. Yeah. And uh, that every time I go, I mean, I have this great support group. Uh, people just coming and cheering and and uh, and you know also combine that to the Canadians being been really fun to me through the years even when I was playing the web uh, you know met a lot of people and great friends that uh, you know I've always really felt, felt you know really comfortable in Canada so uh, so it's just been a place that I've that I've enjoyed uh, you know going to and uh, you know I just been blessed to uh, to have two wins in a row there the, the most recent one has put you uh right on the, the cusp of the President's Cup team. And how much is that weighing on you as, as you head into the playoffs here? Well, I mean, um, you know, I remember, uh, you know, uh, obviously after the after the win last year, I started, I started getting into the picture of the President's Cup. So I actually posted a tweet at the beginning of the year where, hey, you know, I think one of my biggest goals this year is to be part of that President's Cup and, and you know, trying to win, uh, trying to win the President's Cup again, which has been a long time. Um, so, um, so obviously, you know, it's been in the back of my mind pretty much the whole year, uh, and uh, and, I, and I get I get fueled up by 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 some of these goals of trying to be there, which uh, that's kind of what keeps me working hard. 
Um, so, uh, so being a part of that team, especially having a president, a president, a captain like Nick, like Nick Price, uh, you know, which is such a great guy, would be just a lot of fun and it'd be a, a great event to be a part of. So you're placed on tour, secure. You, now, now you can really think about these other goals. So beyond the President's Cup, what, what's on your to-do list? Well, I mean, I think I've, I've always been driven by, by you know, trying to get uh, you know to the number one player in the world. Obviously, you know, I feel like I have a lot of work to do. Um, but that's that's a goal that has always, you know, driven me to uh, to be great at this sport. Um, you know, I'm gonna get there. I don't know, uh, but I'm definitely gonna put all the effort to get there. Uh, and uh, you know, I feel like I have the talent to do it. It's obviously, you know, it's about getting things right to uh, to get towards the top. Some guys get to number one and they, they don't really like it. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of pressure. A lot of attention. You might be too nice to be number one. John. Well, I mean, it's you know, I mean, but you know, I mean, I mean, it's it's a personality thing. I feel that um, that uh, you know, it's, it'll be so cool being number one. It's just, I mean, it's just you're on top of the world. Uh, you know, and that that's what everyone experiences. Uh, but uh, having that chip on your shoulder is always uh, something nice. And like I said, I mean, obviously getting there is something that, uh, that motivates me a lot. And, uh, and you know, we'll see what happens uh, when I get there. All right, good deal. We're rooting for you. Thanks for your time. Thank always you, a pleasure. Appreciate right, it. Good luck. Okay, well, that seems like a good place to stop. Jonathan, thanks for taking your time. And for all those listening out there, thanks for uh, your time as well. This is Alan Shipnuck with The Knockdown signing off.